And so I would say this interpretation-wise, this doctrine of the covenants is really what makes Presbyterians to stand out. Presbyterians, Reformed, whatever the term might be. There is a unity. There is a simplicity of viewing the Bible. We do not get into dispensations, begin here, end there, begin here, end there, and God has different ways of dealing with different people. All of that really is, leads to a lot of confusion. We have one Bible, one gospel, one Savior, one baptism, one faith. There is a unity in the Bible, and that is what makes it so wonderful to us. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining with us again. We're coming to Second Peter chapter 3. Toward the end of the book, we have this text, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. What a warning as the book almost ends. There's one more verse to go. I'll give it to you. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, beware. I wonder, are you watching? The standing Christian is the watching Christian. You watch for temptation. You watch for the error. You watch for the pitfalls. And you seek to remain standing in faithfulness unto God for his Christ and for his gospel. And I beseech you today to take to heart this text of Scripture, this command of God's word, beware lest ye also fall from your own steadfastness. We're not to presume, but to stand. May God help us. Stay tuned now as we come to the message for today. God condescends to make a covenant. Now, let's take time. I would be inclined to say, well, we don't have time, but if we don't, we might miss the, uh, the emphasis of this. Genesis 15, we have this covenant made with Abraham, and it's a covenant in blood. It's a covenant in a sacrifice, and it is an agreement. God makes certain promises, some certain statements of what he's going to do for Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And let's go to verse 13. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety. Uh, and here now is the covenant. There's the word surety. There's nothing left to chance. There's nothing left to man's performance. God is doing a sure thing here, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. And then we go down to verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace 
and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Uh, if we had to take time, we could explain that those pieces were the pieces of the sacrifice. The pieces, uh, uh, you'll go back to verse 9, take me a heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took upon him all these and divided them in the midst and led each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. That's Genesis 15, verse 10. And then as we got to verse 17, uh, that there is now a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and so on. So a covenant is associated with sacrifice. It's associated with blood. It is associated with an agreement between God and men. And God makes certain unconditional assurances that he is going to perform. Now, you know the story how 430 years later, how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, took them into the promised land according to his covenant. Now, in the Bible, there's a whole series of covenants, and they all picture or lead to Christ, every one of them. Whether it's a covenant made with Abram, the next major covenant in the Old Testament is with Noah, and you know how the, the rainbow was placed in the, in, the, in the sky, that he would never again judge the world by a flood. And so it was a covenant of mercy, a covenant of grace. And then that covenant again is seen in the days of Moses, and how God gave with Moses assurances, promises, a covenant. And it's majored again in the days of David. And so as we scan the Bible, we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and it leads us all to Christ, every one of those covenants. The best illustration I have, in fact, it's the only one I have, so I have to share it with you, is the use of a telescope. In Genesis, which is the seedbed of these great doctrines that are consistent right through the Bible, the telescope is folded up. If you ever look through a folded telescope, you don't see very much. It's not very clear. Things are obscure. And that's why when you read of these things of Abram and these pieces of meat on the altar and the, and the furnace and the birds and the sacrifice, you wonder, what's all this about? And it's the God making a covenant with Abram. And then when you get to know, it's like opening out the telescope. And then you begin to see a little more. God is dealing with the world now in mercy. Mercy, a rainbow. He will never again judge the world by a flood. And then when you get to the days of Moses, now Moses was the lawgiver, but he also was God's mediator. He was also God's leader to bring the people out of bondage into freedom. And of course, Joshua is the one that led them across. David, the telescope was opened out a little more, 
And we see in the life of David many parallels in the life of Christ. And so we have in these covenants of the Bible one object, one person in view, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of the covenant. He's the redeemer of his people. And everything in the Old Testament points right to the day that that redeemer would give his life and die for his people there on the very cross. Now, you remember the words of the Lord Jesus. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this cup is my blood in the New Testament or the New Testament in my blood. The Lord was emphasizing that he was the fulfillment of all those covenants in the Old Testament. And so you can see that from understanding the covenants, we get the tremendous unity in the Bible. We don't have a dichotomy between Old Testament and New. So you might wonder, well, why is there this Old Testament and New Testament? Well, it's the same covenant administered differently. Up to the day of Christ, of course, it was the Levitical worship. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross and gave up his blood as a sacrifice, the veil was torn away, and the way into the holiest of all was opened up. The way of Levitical worship was over, and now we have New Testament, New Covenant worship, but it's the same covenant. It's the same gospel. And you and I are saved the same way as Abram was saved. Let me just give you a Bible text on that. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, you remember that in John 8, uh, the, the Lord Jesus said, Abram saw my day. Abram saw my day. Abram believed on the Lord Jesus. And here in Galatians 3 verse 8, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. Now, notice nations plural. We're in Galatia now. Galatia's in Asia Minor. We're in a Greek world. This letter's been written by Paul to Galatians, and he is saying to these Galatians, you are a participant in the church that Abraham was given in type and in picture. And so we have in the covenants a wonderful unity in the Bible, but we also have a gospel of great assurance, because it's the Lord in His condescension coming down to make a covenant with His people. And you're saved tonight by a covenant, by an agreement ratified by blood, by the work of the Lord's sacrifice on the cross, And that blood is your guarantee of heaven. That blood is the guarantee that the covenant cannot be broken on God's side. Now, we, of course, feel, and we sin even as Christians, but when we plead that blood, we have fellowship with the Father and with the Lord Jesus. And so I would say this, interpretation-wise, this doctrine of the covenants is really what makes Presbyterians to stand out. Presbyterians, Reformed, whatever the term might be. There is a unity. There is a simplicity. 
of viewing the Bible. We do not get into dispensations, begin here, end there, begin here, end there, uh, and God has different ways of dealing with different people. All of that really is, leads to a lot of confusion. We have one Bible, one gospel, one Savior, one baptism, one faith. There is a unity in the Bible, and that is what makes it so wonderful to us. My number seven point is seeking Christ matters when you interpret the Bible. The great theme of the Bible is the Lord Jesus. And as we've already learned in that illustration of the telescope, in those covenants, everything was pointing, looking to the day when Christ would come and the shadow would pass away and the Lord would come in all of his fullness. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Roberts said, so as not to rest the Bible to your own destruction, study it as a sinner seeking a Savior. That's good advice. And we're to look for the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. We're to search the Scriptures as the Ethiopian did. You remember him sitting on the chariot reading Isaiah 53? Wasn't very sure how to understand it until Philip came along and preached unto him Jesus. You see how he brought the gospel out of the Old Testament and used it as a message to the heart of the Ethiopian. We're to look for Christ in all the Scriptures. In John 5, 39, it says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so when you're reading your Bible, bringing this down just to our daily devotions, when you're reading the Bible, and of course, sometimes there's long lists of people and long lists of events and different things in the Bible, but you ought to be looking for the Lord, seeing pictures and representations of the Lord Jesus. Now, that means we look for him in types and shadows of the Bible. The Old Testament, there are many people, many places, and events, even the tabernacle, that all are pictures, shadows, types of the Lord Jesus. You know that there are Messianic Psalms, and those psalms really are the experiences of David or whoever wrote them, but they are also revelations of the Lord Jesus. And many, many of the psalms are written in that way. You take the lives of the great heroes of the Old Testament, and you can see parallels in the life of the Lord Jesus, whether you're studying the drama of David as he slays Goliath. And there you have little David taking on the great giant. What have you got? A representative man. You have David representing Israel. And you remember the uh, challenge that Goliath threw out, that if you slay me, you conquer all the Philistines. But if I slay this man that you send out against me, then we will conquer you. And David went out as Israel's representative man and slew that giant and won the victory for Israel. And you can see parallels. You can see a picture of our Lord Jesus in the triumph of David 
as he conquered the Goliath. There's the life of Samson. Now, Samson's a very skewed character, but as he brought down the house of Dagon and brought deliverance to Israel, he is a picture of one man conquering for many. And that's how we're saved tonight. One person went to the cross and won the victory for us, and we're trusting in the work of one man. When we look at Abraham, the message I preached on Easter Friday, the story of Abraham going with his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and how Abraham was to slay his own son Isaac until God stopped him and showed him the ram caught in the thicket. And there you have all the elements of the Father, the Son, thine only Son, whom you love. You have the elements of sacrifice, blood atonement, and then substitution, the ram in the place of Isaac. And so, in so, so many ways, the Bible is filled with these wonderful pictures of the Lord Jesus. Might I mention just Joseph? The story of Joseph being sold into bondage, down into prison, well, the house of Potiphar, and then to prison, and they raised up out of that humiliation to be the prime minister of the land is a great representation of our Lord Jesus, because he left heaven's glory, came down to this world to great shame and humiliation. But God has exalted him. And you remember how nothing was bought or sold in Egypt without Joseph? Christ now rules the world from the right hand of the Father. And again, you have a life that is filled with these wonderful pictures. There's the minor prophets, Hosea, the man whose wife was unfaithful to him, and God told him, go buy her back, and how he went down to the market and prayed the market price to buy his own wife out of bondage and slavery. What a picture of the love of God in Christ, who went to the cross to purchase us. And so, as you read the Scriptures, you need to look for Christ. You want to see the Lord and find Him in every part of the Bible. Now, what do these wicked men do? If you read here in 2 Peter 3, verse 16, uh, we find that they rest the Scriptures to their own destruction. They don't go looking for a Savior. These are the very scoffers who say, there's no sign of the Lord coming. All these promises of His return, but He has never returned. And so they say, there is no judgment, there's no wrath, there's no, there's no judgment upon a, a lifestyle of sin, and therefore they don't want a Savior. And they are willingly ignorant. In other words, they just close their minds to the truth. And of course, they never find the Savior in the Scriptures of truth. They shut their minds to Him. Now, what we need to do as a church is to realize we're living in a world where many people are totally blind to the gospel. That's why we've got a church with empty seats. That's why the marketplace and the pleasure places of the world are filled. But the gospel church is 
challenge to get people in. We need to pray. We need to pray that God will open the eyes of men and women to the Redeemer and Savior that we have revealed right here in the Bible, God's Word. We need prayer meetings where Christians cry to God to open the eyes of Canadians. A person asked Mr. Spurgeon one day, what's the secret of your ministry? What's the secret of your preaching? And he led the person to the prayer room of his church, which, if I understand right, was the total lower floor of the building. And it was filled with people in prayer. And he said, this is the power room of the church. And where there is much prayer, there will be fire in the pulpit. And Mr. Spurgeon had a, had a ministry that saw years of multiple conversions, thousands of converts, year after year after year. This is something we don't see today. I mentioned Dr. Peter Masters, who now preaches in Mr. Spurgeon's church. I am told that he has a, a sizable congregation, but it doesn't fill anything like the days of Mr. Spurgeon. It is a metropolitan sense in the sense that it's in the center of the city. It's right at a crossroads for transit and for transport, and it's a great location for to gather people in. There are many students that attend, but we all need churches that engage in much prayer. And we will not see much done until God stirs us to pray. Now, we can harp and lament and criticize what these unstable and unlearned people do, but do we pray for them? Do we pray for the atheists? Do we pray for these weird, lusting sinners that have willfully defied God and His Word? Do we pray for them? Thank God they can be saved. They can be redeemed. They can be brought out of the ways of sin. Muslims can be saved. What a threat the Muslim world is today. But Muslims can be saved. Something is happening in Saudi Arabia. Strange things are happening in Saudi Arabia. There are Muslims being converted. I'm always wary about the nature of the conversion. God is calling them out of Muslim and Islam. And I pray that God will send a breath of revival, even in those nations that are now war-torn, destroyed, miserable. We think of the, the mass movement of people across Europe. Maybe God has a gospel program that these people will hear the gospel like never before. What about our own country? What about our own communities? Do you have someone of another religion living near you? Are you willing to take them the gospel? Are you willing to go and ask, how could I pray for you? I'm a Christian. I want to pray for you. This is the heart that we need as we finish up this whole book of Second Peter. We are horrified at the evil. But you'll notice at the end how Peter ends the whole book. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and ever. 
And unto the end of the age there will be souls saved. The church of Christ will stand, and the gospel will go on. God may bury his servants, but he'll carry on the work, and the work of God is therefore in good hands. So I appeal to you tonight at the close of this series on Second Peter, although I do want to preach uh, topically uh, on the whole matter of growing in grace uh, in the Sundays to come, and I do want to get to that. But I appeal to you, don't let these things harden your heart and say there is no uh, hope for the church anymore. There's no way forward for the cause of the Lord Jesus. But rather, come and pray. Let us seek God as never before, that he may revive his church. Thank you for joining with us here on the broadcast today, and I trust the Lord will minister grace to your heart, stirring your soul. Here's a quote from Mr. Spurgeon on the word covenant. We are all lost through a covenant. God made a covenant of works with Adam. This do, and thou shalt live. Abstain from eating of the forbidden tree, and you and those whom you represent shall live in my favor. Adam broke the condition of the agreement, and there and then you and I fell down and perished by the fatal act of our first parent. The Lord has now arranged a new covenant of a different character. It is made with Christ Jesus, the second Adam, and with all whom he represents. It is on this wise, you, Jesus, shall keep the law, and you shall also offer a penalty for all the breaches of my law by all who are in you. If you do this, all those who are in you shall live eternally. And there is salvation by a covenant. Christ undertakes to be the head representative and the redeemer of his people by fulfilling the covenant of grace. Mr. Spurgeon said, what a Magna Carta is this. The old covenant says, keep the law and live. The new covenant is, you shall live, and I will lead you to keep my law, for I will write it on your heart. The man who can fully understand the word covenant is a theologian. That is the key of all theology. The covenant of works by which we fail, and the covenant of grace by which we stand. Christ fulfilling the covenant for us as our surety and representative, fulfilling it by the shedding of his blood, so leaving for us a covenant wholly fulfilled on our side, which is Christ's side, and only to be fulfilled now by God. What a mercy, what a wonder that we can be saved by the covenant of grace undertaken by our Lord Jesus. Stay tuned now for these closing announcements, and may the Lord bless you richly. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music